preached a sermon last week that I titled Kingdom First. I had no intention whatsoever of starting a sermon series. And um, I sat down this week, and you'll find that I am not one at all to say, and I know it's a, it's a lot of people's method maybe, but I'm not the pastor that sits down and says, okay, Lord, I'm going to open the Bible and wherever it opens to, that's what I'm going to preach this week. I just don't do that. But I did sit down with my Dake Study Bible and opened it up, and it fell upon Ezra uh, chapter 10, and uh, talking about their fasting, and I began to read, and I thought about the fast that we're in right now, and then I backed it up a couple chapters, and the Lord really began to speak uh, and deal with me something I'm going to share with you that I believe is very relevant to us as a church today from the book of Ezra chapter 8. We're going to be reading as our main text, verses 21 through 23, if you'll stand with me all over the room. Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. He said, And thereby the Ahava Canal, I gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before our God. We prayed that He would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, and our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, Our God's hand of protection is on all who worship Him. But His fierce anger rages against those who abandon Him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And He heard our prayer. I was amazed when I read that passage of Scripture how in line it was with, and I just can't help but believe that God kind of placed us on a theme beginning last Sunday for Kingdom First. That's what we're talking about, Kingdom First. And I was amazed at how much this paralleled the scripture that was our thematic scripture for last year about the prayer of Jabez. The prayer of Jabez said, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be upon me and keep me from harm. That's God's hand of protection, that I'll be free from pain. And the Bible said, And God granted his request. So here we read that he says in verse 22, Our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandoned him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. Just like he granted Jabez's request, Ezra said, and he heard our prayer. Is anybody thankful this morning he's a prayer answering God? If you will, one more time, I want to preach to you this morning, kingdom first journey to the temple. One more time, if you will, stretch your hands toward heaven, pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you for your presence, your anointing, your the worship of you in this house today. God, now has come the time for the word. So as I break the bread of life, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears that will hear, give us receptive hearts and teachable spirits, Lord, for what your word would say to us today. And God, I pray especially, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, as Paul said, a worm and no man. I'm, I'm unworthy. But God, I ask you today that you would decrease me till I'm nothing and let the Spirit of the Lord be increased within me, that your word would come forth today, Lord, in the demonstration and in the power of your Spirit, that it'll touch hearts and change lives. And we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Most of you that know me know that I am... um, guess you might say a fan of author Max Lucado, author and pastor Max Lucado. 
Um, I, I've read many of his books, and in a book that he wrote that was titled A Gentle Thunder, he tells the story of Sir John Franklin. And until the book, I had never read or heard of the story, and, and maybe you have or haven't either, but I'm those of you that are super history buffs or history teachers especially, I know you'll know, but the rest of us, maybe not so much. But it was in 1845 um, in England and also in America was the beginning of what was called the Manifest Destiny. That's what they called it. And that was the idea that we were destined to explore, to inhabit, and to eventually annex the West. That was our view in, uh, in America. And while we were concerned with exploring our own continent, Britain was busy exploring uncharted areas of the world. And one of those uncharted areas was called the Northwest Passage. So let me give you just a brief history lesson this morning about the Northwest Passage. This was a sea lane that goes around the Canadian Arctic to the Pacific Ocean over on uh, the left side of Washington State in California. And that was Sir John Franklin's mission. His mission was supposed to be the turning point in Arctic ex exploration. And it was, but it was not the turning point because of its success. It was because of its failure. Sir John Franklin's two ships never returned home. Every single one of his crew members perished. Because of Franklin's failure, all future Arctic explorers learned one lesson. They learned that you need to prepare for the journey. See, the reason that Franklin's journey failed was because of his complete and total lack of preparation. The Arctic exploration journey was supposed to last two to three years. And somewhere in the midst of preparing for all of this, he only carried on the first 12 days supply of coal for his engines. And then they got caught up in all of the other things they were loading and they forgot to lastly load all of the fuel so that they could get to it first for the, for the entire mission. He forgot to take the fuel, but he did remember to take stuff to make the crew happy and comfortable. He took a library for relaxation. He took an organ for their entertainment. He took fine china place settings, cut glass wine goblets, and the finest sterling silver silverware. And while all of the sailors had their finest dress uniforms, most of them did not even take winter clothes or coats. They were more prepared, Lucado said, for tea with the queen than they were for sailing the Arctic. Of course, as they sailed north, the sea froze solid around the ship. And when it did, all of the men either froze to death or starved to death. Why did their mission fail? Was it because they didn't know where they were going? No. They knew the conditions that they were heading into. Was it because they were uneducated, unskillful, or incapable? No. Sir John Franklin, and think about this, the 138 men, 138 men that were on board those two ships were known as some of Britain's most brilliant, most skillful, finest sailors. And at the time, Britain had one of the finest navies in the world. So why did their mission fail? Because, simply put, they were not prepared. 
even though they were fine sailors, even though they knew the conditions that they were heading into, they failed to prepare. And the question is, why? How do you do that? I don't really know, and history doesn't really tell us, but as I read this, I thought maybe that's one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves today. Because the church is filled with fine Christian people. The church is filled with knowledgeable people. As a matter of fact, many of us have been Christians for a long time. How many people in this room, and I did this at 845 as well this morning, how many people in this room would say, I have been saved, Pastor Sean, for 20 years or longer? How many would raise their hands? Many in this room lifted their hands. Many of us have been Christians for a long time. We have experience. We have eyes. We have ears. And we have brains. And with that experience and these eyes and ears and the brains that God has given us, I believe we should be able to see the conditions that we're heading into in this world. Will anybody help me preach this morning? Not only that, we can see from the prophecies in Scripture the conditions that we're heading into today. According to Romans chapter 1, we know that when a nation stops recognizing and being thankful to God, certain things will happen. They begin to worship created things instead of the Creator. And when that happens, then complete and social collapse is not very far away. Social collapse that is marked by things like rampant sexual promiscuity. It's going to get quiet up in here this morning. Things like widespread and publicly accepted disobedience of children to parents. Things like, Angie and I, I didn't say this at 845, but it just popped into my mind. A few weeks ago during Christmas shopping, we were standing at the register at Coles in London. And there was a mother trying to check out and a grandmother and probably what looked to be about a five or six year old little girl who blatantly, her grandmother told her, leave the cart alone. There's a lot of people in line. We're standing still. And the grandmother told her, leave it alone. She hit the grandmother, jerked the cart away from her and, and, and just treated her awful and pushed the cart away. And we stood there, both of us thinking, we'd both like to, but yeah, Dustin just raised his hand, bust, yeah, I'll stop right there. That's what we both would like to do. But you know, it's a common thing today. Widely accepted disobedience of children to parents. Things like publicly accepted gender neutrality. There is a church in California, if you didn't know it, who has now added neutral gender restrooms. A church. Let that sink in. Things like evil, pure evil, that will stop at nothing to achieve complete and total deception. The Bible has told us about the Arctic wasteland that we're headed into. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So I ask us this morning, are we prepared? Are the people of God prepared? Or are we polishing our silver? Pressing our uniforms? Stocking our libraries? And tuning up our organs? 
I want us to begin making preparation today. And I want to tell you something. I'm not going to get political this morning, but if current events don't motivate you to get down to business with God, I don't know what will. Church family, this is the time and the place where God, in His sovereignty, has placed us. And He has placed us here for a reason. And that reason is the journey that He has called all of us to travel. And as we put His kingdom first in 2021, I want us to start preparing for that journey today. And today I want us to look at Ezra and the temple. See, Ezra and this second remnant were getting ready to take a journey. They were heading into a four-month journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, if what the general contractor tells me is correct, we're about four months approximately away from occupying our new facility. So I, that couldn't, that, I, I couldn't help but for that to jump out to me from the commentary uh, as I read. They were heading into a four-month journey to go from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about Babylon and Jerusalem, that's a sermon in and of itself. But they knew much of what awaited them there. They knew that it wasn't going to be pretty. The temple, yes, the temple had been built, but the temple was right in the middle of a city that was full of rubble. They knew the wasteland that was ahead of them, so they knew that they must prepare. And first, they must prepare spiritually. To prepare for the journey that awaits us as a church and as people of God, we must first prepare spiritually. I want you to think about it. In most things in life, this goes completely contrary to our natural instincts. Uh, most of the time, when we see a task in front of us, the first thing we want to do is take care of the task. Uh, by nature, I'm a fixer. I, I want to fix things. I want to, Angie can tell you, I want to fix everything. But let me give you just a little bit of insight. Being a fixer isn't necessarily always the best thing that I can do as a husband, as a father, or even as a pastor. It took me a while to learn that, and I still mess it up sometimes. But whenever my wife, or my children, or one of our members comes to me with what I see as a problem, it doesn't necessarily mean that they want me to fix it. Sometimes they're not looking for a solution. Sometimes they're looking for understanding. Sometimes they're looking for a sympathetic ear. And so if they're looking for a sympathetic ear and I start rattling off things that fix the problem, it doesn't really accomplish anything. One of my children told me one time, and I can't remember exactly how they put it, I just remember the gist of it. They were talking to me about a situation, and of course, what did I do? And they stopped me and they said, um, I won't tell you which one it was. And they said, Dad, I wish for once you could just answer me without telling me what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says. I've heard you all my life. But I wish for once you can answer me without telling me what the Bible says. Listen, if what they're looking for sometimes is a sympathetic ear and I start rattling off things to fix the problem, it doesn't really accomplish anything. They get frustrated because I'm not understanding enough. And then I'm frustrated because it's not fixed. Well, just like understanding, listening, and being a sympathetic ear are the first things needed in our journey as a spouse, as a parent, or even as a pastor. Spiritual preparation is the first thing needed in this journey 
called life that God has each of us on. Listen, if I don't show people that I understand and sympathize with them, we'll never be able to successfully get to the business of fixing the problem. I learned a long time ago, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And by the same token, if we don't spiritually prepare for our journey, we're not going to accomplish anything for the kingdom. We'll never get off the starting point. We'll just comfortably cruise along while the world all around us turns into an arctic wasteland. So, what are the spiritual disciplines that we need to practice? Well, if we've been in church for five minutes or longer, and many of you said you'd been saved 20 years or more, uh, we know that we need to go to church, right? We talked last week about going to church doesn't mean you've done anything special for the kingdom. We need to... Uh, Read our Bibles, we need to read the Word, and because we read the Word doesn't mean we're doing anything special for the kingdom. We need to pray, of course, and because we're praying doesn't mean that we're doing anything special for the kingdom. And we also leave one out a lot of times, we're doing it right now, but probably not often enough, we need to fast. Periodic fasting with our praying goes hand in hand. And that's what Ezra was calling these people to do. He called them to prepare for the journey that was ahead of them by fasting. And Scripture is clear that God honors the humble prayers of His people. That's where Ezra was. As soon as he gathered up all the people who were going with him to Jerusalem, what was the first thing he did with them? He called them to a fast. Now when I thought about that, how much sense does that really make? They were getting ready to take about a 1,000 mile journey and they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. They were getting ready to take about a 1,000 mile journey and he called them to go with food, go without food. You'd think he would have had them to load up on food so they'd have plenty of energy for the journey, but that wasn't what was on his mind. What was on his mind was humility. I want you to notice in verse 21, if they'll put it back on the screen for me very briefly. He tells us the reasons for proclaiming a fast. He says to fast and humble ourselves before our God. That's what he says. If you read this in the King James Version, it actually says afflict ourselves, where it says humble here. And afflict carries the meaning in the Hebrew of intentionally, intentionally bringing affliction upon oneself for the sole purpose of bringing about humility. Isn't that what fasting does? It makes you realize how utterly not in control you really are. Because when you give up something that you really, really like to partake of, or you give up a certain number of meals a day, or maybe a certain number of days you give up food entirely, it doesn't take you very long until you recognize how totally dependent and almost nearly out of control your flesh is. Can anybody relate to that this morning? So they prayed and they fasted, and they fasted first for direction to seek God for the right way for them, and then they prayed for their substance. They fasted and prayed that God would tell them where He wanted them to go and that He would provide for them along the way. But their fasting wasn't just ritual. Their prayers weren't just habitual or out of obligation. They actually believed, here's where we miss it so many times I'm afraid today, they actually believed that when they prayed and they fasted, God would hear and God would answer. Has anybody this morning ever seen the movie Facing the Giants? Let me see your hands if you've seen that 
movie. Many of you in the house. It's a really good Christian movie, but one part sticks out in my mind, and it reminds me of my mother, if you were here when I preached the sermon uh, a little while back about my mom, uh, when I talked about my mom carrying the umbrella in the end. In the movie, the town had been in a drought for a long time, and of course, many people said that uh, they were praying that God would bring the rains, but there was one character, when he prayed for rain, guess what he did? He began to carry an umbrella. He was so convinced that God would answer his prayers for rain that he knew he was going to need an umbrella. Well, when I, when I preached that sermon and talked about my mom after she had her stroke uh, at 49, the last 10 years, almost 11 years of her life, regardless of what the weather was, she carried an umbrella every single day of her life, period. On her wrist, she just carried it around. And I talked about our prayers and how we should uh, expect rain. And there was a lady uh, from a a, a local Baptist church in town who was friends with Ray and Phyllis White who go here. We've been praying, as you know, uh, for Ray's healing. And they had planned to be here today and text me uh, in between the services. And uh, and Ray is, is, is not feeling well today. They have had COVID. Praise the Lord, he has come through. But And the quarantine's over, but he's just not feeling well today. But uh, when I preached that sermon, I thought this was so awesome that a lady that was friends with them from another church, uh, after they went and had dinner after church and went home, they their doorbell rang, and when they opened the door, she had watched our service live, and she was standing at the door, and she said, she told Phyllis, she said, I'm here to see Ray. She had an umbrella in her hand and she said, God told me to bring this to you. Because they were praying and believing for rain when we're talking about praying and believing for Ray's healing. Well, in this movie, that's what one character did. He was so convinced that there would be rain, he knew he needed an umbrella. And I believe that's the kind of prayer that Ezra had. Verse 22, though, said that he was embarrassed to take the king up on his offer to provide military protection for their journey. He knew that they were on the journey that God wanted them on and their dependence and their strength and their protection would come from God and God alone. And all I'll say is this, don't put your faith or your trust in any of the kings of this world. Somebody say amen this morning. My trust and my faith, it's not, listen, it's not diminished one bit. God is still God. God is still on the throne and God is still my provider and my protector. Hello, hallelujah. So anyway, he was embarrassed, the word said. I thought that was relevant to point out this morning, to take the king up on his offer to provide protection for their journey because he trusted God to protect them. They had fasted and prayed for God's direction and his provision, and now he was going to carry his umbrella. And what happened? It rained. Well, not literally, but God provided their direction, and God provided their provision. And verse 23 says that he answered their prayers and their fasting. He heard our prayer. They were spiritually prepared for the journey. Here's what I ask us today. Are we as a church spiritually prepared for the journey? Are we as individuals spiritually prepared for the journey? Have you been praying in this time of fasting for God's direction for both you as an individual but also for this church? Have you been praying for God's provision? Because listen, We know the Arctic wasteland, if you will, that's awaiting us on our journey. Uh, All you have to do is look around us and you can see that. Drugs, crime, poverty, abuse, ignorance, I'm just going to say that, hopelessness, 
Here's one we don't preach on nearly often enough, laziness. We ought to be preaching on that. I'll save it for another time. Despair and complacency. I could go on and on and on. And as I was typing those words, I could have typed 20 more. But really, I can sum it up in one word. Sin. Romans 1 is being lived out all around us. And Jesus called us, all of us, to be salt and light in this world. Right in the midst of what's going on around us. So I ask you, are we praying for His direction and how He wants us to do that? Are we praying for His provision to allow us to do that? And Have you got your umbrella ready? We pray and we say, God, fill that new building. But have you really thought about what we'll need when He does? Have you thought about that? If you have, then I want to tell you something this morning. We should be ashamed not to prepare. I said we should be ashamed not to prepare. Why? Because the hand of God is upon us. And if we believe that, if we believe the hand of God is upon us, then we'll act like it. We'll live like it. We'll walk like it. We'll talk like it. But there I go being a fixer again. So first things first. Let's go back. First, we must prepare spiritually by praying and fasting and seeking the Lord's direction and provision. And then we must protect the treasures of the temple. I want you to look at what the Word said in verses 24 through 30. He said, I appointed 12 leaders of the priest, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 other priests, to be in charge of transporting the silver, the gold, the gold bowls, and all the other items the king, his council, his officials, and all the people of Israel had presented for the temple of God. I weighed the treasure as I gave it to them and found the totals to be as follows. They were taking inventory. 24 tons of silver, 7,500 pounds of silver articles, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bowls equal in value to 1,000 gold coins, fine articles of polished bronze as precious as gold. And I said to these priests, you and these treasures have been set apart as holy to the Lord. This silver and gold is a voluntary offering to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. Guard these treasures well until you present them to the leading priests, the Levites, and the leaders of Israel who will weigh them in. They'll take inventory there at the storehouse of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. So the priests and the Levites, that's the uh, preachers, and those that fought the forefront of the battle and leading worship accepted the task of transporting these treasures of silver and gold to the temple of our God in Jerusalem. To prepare for the journey that awaits us, after we prepare spiritually, we must prepare materially, and we have to protect, we must protect the treasures of the temple. What does it mean to pray with faith? Does it mean that we get on our knees before God and we ask Him to do everything for us? Can we ask God to fill that new building or even all of these seats while we sit at home and do nothing? Hmm. What did Ezra do? They spent three days fasting and praying on the banks of the Ahava. And then they got to work. They set out planning and preparing the people for the journey. He set aside, I want you to notice this this morning, some trusted priests and trusted Levites 
to carry and protect the treasures of the temple. Now, we tend to skip over the amounts because we don't have any idea how much a talent or a dram uh, or a vessel amounts to. We don't even know what that is or what it's worth. We don't know exactly how much that was, but we know that it was at least worth several million dollars in today's money. So we know that they had money. But let me tell you something. This passage, if you research it and study it, does not just represent monetary blessings. Did you hear me? It represents spiritual blessings as well. It, the treasure of the temple is the anointing and the presence of God. It represents the, the treasured things of the temple. They just had to take what already God had already given them with, uh, given them and blessed them with and entrusted them with. They had to take it from where they were and get it securely and safely to where they were going to guard it and protect it. So is this what you think they did? Did they take and spread out all the treasure uh, of the temple of God on the ground and say, okay God, I have faith that you're going to give us direction and I have faith that you're going to provide for us and I have faith, God, here's your stuff that you'll get it to where you want it to go. Of course not. They did not do that. Well, maybe since he prayed for God's direction, some of you say that he decided to camp out at, uh, at Ahava until God spoke to him. Because you know, many folks are just waiting on a word, trying to run down somebody to give them a word when God's already given you the word. Hello, somebody. You don't need to run down a word when God's already given you a word. So do you think that he waited for God to speak to him and tell him specifically what to do? I want to tell you something. If he had done that, you might be able to go there and dig up the, his bones today next to the Euphrates River. You might have been able to go there and get his remains. But he didn't do that. He, when he got up off his knees, he got busy. He got busy. I want to tell you something today, church. We have a responsibility. If God has gifted you, and God has blessed you, and if God has anointed you, we have a responsibility as the people of God to guard and protect what God has given us. We, are, we have a responsibility as Christians to guard and protect our witness that God has given us. We talked about it last week. We have a responsibility. I have a responsibility, sometimes an unpopular responsibility, to guard and protect the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because I, the last thing I want is for God to take His gifts and His anointing and His Spirit from us. See, I read this Bible and I find a place where they stamped Ichabod over the door. And do you know what that meant? That meant the glory of the Lord has departed if we will do our due diligence and we will guard our hearts and we will protect what God has blessed us with we'll not lose one gift we'll not lose the anointing we'll not lose the presence and the power of God which is what the temple represents I'm not interested in a building but I'm interested in a place where the presence of almighty God dwells that saves sets free, delivers, heals, and restores. That's what I'm looking for. 
That's what we're called to do. And sometimes it puts us in difficult situations, but we must guard and protect the treasure that God has given us. I don't want to cheat anybody because I shared this in the first service, and so I'm going to share it in this one because some may ask, why did you share that? I had no intention of sharing it, and I told Angie before the 845 service, I even said, I'm not going to share that, but I want to share this with you. And to some of you, you'll know these people. Most of you won't, won't know who they are. But um, Angie's great uncle uh, was, was our pastor growing up. And he had uh, five sisters. One of them was Sister Karen Collins' mother, who went on to be with the Lord many, many years ago. But he had four other sisters. And he had brothers, too. Um, but uh, the brothers all lived away. And uh, the sisters were all here. And they were four elderly ladies, uh, and one of them was Angie's grandmother. And her other three sisters, uh, Carol Fay, Smith, um, Lily Crawford was Angie's grandmother, Ann McCarg uh, was their other sister, and then Captola Sulfridge, you've heard me talk about many times. And, and so anyway, uh, Angie and I have been really praying and seeking the Lord this week, and she didn't know anything about my message. She didn't, uh, she didn't know anything about my scripture. She didn't know anything. Uh, and she came downstairs yesterday morning, and she's not one that in uh, our life together, 25 years this June, she's not been one to many times say I had a spiritual dream, but she said, I had a dream I need to share with you. And I said, I said okay, because see, you'll learn that sometimes when... When you're trying to just, all you're trying to do is guard and protect the treasures of the temple. That sometimes it, it's, it just doesn't go well for you. That's all, I know, that's all I know how to say. It doesn't go the way you want it to. Let me put it like that. And so she said, I, I, I have to share this dream with you. And I said, okay. And she said, I was driving to London and I had to, for some reason, I had to veer right at Lily Holiness Church. And when I got in front of the church, doors and steps, entrance, there was a tent set up that was blocking the road. I couldn't go any farther, so I had to stop my vehicle, and I got out, and it looked like there was a church homecoming going on there, and she said, but I, I looked over, and she said, I could see Carol Faye, Mama, Ann, and Captola sitting over on this side, and she said, I went over first to Carol Faye, and you'd have to know these ladies to, uh, to appreciate this, but she said, I knew that they had all gone on to heaven. The last one went on to heaven this past year. And she said, I knew they had all gone on to heaven. So I walked over to her and I said, do you know me? And she said, she looked at me and said, well, yes, I know you. And she said, well, what are you doing here? She said, honey, we're just talking. And she said, Captola was seated over on the right. And she just had her Bible open in her lap with her knees trotting. And if you knew her, she did that a lot when she talked to you out of the word. And um, she looked over at Cap and she said, um, Cap said, how you doing? She said, well, we're, we're okay. She said, uh, it's, it's hard sometimes. And Cap said, yeah, it is. And she said, and you've heard me say this when I preached before. She said, Cap looked at me and she said, but if any way will do, no way will do. And Angie said, right. And then Angie said, I began to cry. And I'm going to try not to get emotional myself right now. And she said, I said, why is it that sometimes it's so hard? And sometimes people mistake you when you're trying your best to help them. She said, Carol Faye looked at her and she said, Honey, that's the way it is. 
when you're called into ministry. And when Angie said this, my heart dropped inside of me. She said, she looked at me and she said, but listen to me. You must guard and protect what God has entrusted to you. I said, did she say those specific words? She said, yes, she did. And I said, let me, let me read some of my sermon to you this morning. So what are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying. We must love unconditionally. Did you hear me? With everything in us, we must love unconditionally. But we must also guard and protect the treasures of the temple. If Nicholas will come to the music this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. So, Pastor, what's, what's our mission? Our mission, I think we all agree, we all know our mission is the Great Commission. We find it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It said, Go ye therefore into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, even to the end of the world. Churches, we are going everywhere we go. We're supposed to be making disciples. We're supposed to be making disciples and then baptizing those disciples. And then we're supposed to teach those disciples. That's our responsibility. We're to grow them so that they'll be equipped to make more disciples everywhere that they go. But church, we can't go and make disciples in places we should never be going to start with. We can't effectively build the kingdom of God unless we're going and making disciples. I don't know if you've read today's devotion or not in our devotion with Jensen Franklin that we're doing, but I was reading it this morning. And it resonated with me how he talked about, I pray that I am never somebody different outside of church than I am inside the pulpit. As a pastor, he said. And I began to think about that for myself. I pray that my children don't see something different at home than they see at the church. But I want to take that a step farther. I pray that the entire community doesn't see anything any different out of any one of us out there than they do in here. We need to put the kingdom first. Because the journey to the temple is not about, I'm not preaching about a journey to another building. I could care less about buildings. I just want one we can all worship in together. What I care about is that people that come into the building bound by certain things leave free people that come into the building lost leave saved people that come into the building sick leave healed I still believe God's able I still believe God's able so I have three questions for you and I'm going to open this altar very quickly the first is are we spiritually preparing for our mission are we fasting and praying that God will give us direction along the way are we are we praying and fasting that God will give us all of the provision that we need? Are we spiritually prepared for our mission? Now, the second question, 
Are we materially preparing for our mission? If we're praying for rain, are we carrying our umbrella? Believing that God's going to make it rain? Digging cisterns to hold the water because we just know it's going to rain? And the last question, are we protecting and guarding the treasures of the temple? I want you to think about what that question implies. In the first service this morning, I thanked the Lord so much because the Lord visited us. And I know that there's some probably here and some watching online. I tried my best to explain online. But the Lord visited us this morning with a message in tongues and interpretation when I talked about this question. And God's Spirit was so real and just so tangible you could almost cut it with a knife. And you know what I loved? I was preaching about not losing any of the gifts and the anointing that God has blessed us with in this church. And somebody who's only gave a message in tongues, I think maybe the second time in the history of this church that I know of, gave a message in tongues and there was an interpretation from the Lord this morning. And I thought, thank you, Lord. Church, I don't ever want us to lose the gifts of the Spirit. I don't ever want us to be a place where people come in and leave the same way they come in and they don't even realize while they're here that anything needs to change. That's not what God's called us to be. I don't want us to come to church and leave that way. All of us, all of us fall short. Yes, in different ways, but we all fall short. Our righteousness, the Word says, is as filthy rags. All of us. None of us are better than anybody else. Yes, God's mercy is new every morning. Yes, God's grace is sufficient. But we also should strive to live and to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And we should guard and protect the treasures of the temple. That's the last question. Are we guarding and protecting the treasures of the temple? We've been praying for God to give us the Tri-Counties. What are we doing to prepare for that? What are we doing to get ready for, for the rain? And you can read the last six verses. of I had it in there, both services, for them to read. I didn't read it first service. I'm not going to read it now. I am going to read verse 36. It says, The king's decree were delivered to his highest officers and the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River. Watch this. Who then, who then, if they'll put that one on the screen, verse 36, who then cooperated, thank you, by supporting the people and the temple of God. See, they weren't cooperative before, but because Ezra prayed, because he fasted, because he guarded and protected the treasures of the temple, we find that when they got there, those people then cooperated by supporting the people and the temple of God. So if you'll stand with me all over the house this morning. Where do we go from here, church? We know our mission. We know what we've got to do to prepare. That means there's only one more thing for us to do, and we've got to do it. No more excuses. No more waiting on somebody else. No more looking around for somebody else to do it. It's time for us to do like Ezra and the remnant did. It's time for us to get about our mission. I want you to notice what happened. The Word said they departed, then God delivered, and then they arrived in the spot where God wanted them. Notice that order. 
They departed. They, they followed the Lord. And after they got up and went, then God delivered when they were following His leading. He answered their prayers. He gave them direction. He made provision. He honored their material preparation. He honored how they guarded and protected the treasures of the temple. And by His hand upon them, they were able to accomplish their mission by God's hand. So, Pastor, what are you asking of us as we go into this altar service? I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to pray for God's direction and God's provision. I'm asking you to commit. I'm asking you to commit to fulfilling the mission that God has called you to as part of this church. Every single one of you are all important. And, and most of you watching online are a part, a physical part of this church. But finally, I'm asking for you to get up and go. Stop hanging out on the banks of the Ahava when you fast and pray and expecting God to do it. Instead, get up and go. Follow God's direction about the mission and you watch what God will do. You watch what God will do. I want to ask you this morning as they sing, I want to ask everybody that will to slip on a mask and join me in this altar.